Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm your host, Ty Kersley, and this week's topic, ban assault weapons. My guest is Jeremy Stein, the executive director of Connecticut Against Gun Violence. We'll discuss assault weapons, President Biden's address, and an upcoming Supreme Court case about the Second Amendment, New York Gun Owners Association versus the state of New York. But first, here is our in memoriam. We want to thank Bridget McGuinn for this week's in memoriam in remembrance of Dante Barksdale, 46 years old, died January 17th, 2021, Baltimore, Maryland. Dante Barksdale, an activist and leader of a city campaign to quell gun violence in Baltimore, was widely recognized for canvassing streets prone to gang wars with words of reconciliation. Dante Barksdale was found with a gunshot wound to his head and taken to John Hopkins Hospital, where he died a short time later. Barksdale had delivered winter coats just weeks earlier to residents at the complex where he was fatally shot, one resident told the Baltimore Sun. Dante went by the nickname Tater and was a nephew of Nathan Barksdale, the now deceased narcotics trafficker known as Bodie, who was an inspiration for the character Avon Barksdale in the HBO crime series The Wire. Dante Barksdale drew upon his time in prison for selling drugs and his experience growing up in the projects for his outreach work for the city's Safe Streets program. At the core of Safe Streets is the idea that communities are best equipped to police their own neighborhoods, staffed by people who know and understand the street culture that often perpetuates violence. The program works to build relationships with young people in at-risk communities and help them mediate conflicts. Barksdale's work there was informed by his own experiences of growing up in the housing project in East Baltimore, where he chronicled in a 2019 memoir, I was tired of getting locked up, of getting robbed by police, of having to keep an eye out at all times, he wrote in the book. I wanted a regular job, and it seemed the universe had one in mind for me. Mayor Brandon M. Scott of Baltimore called him the heart and soul of the Safe Streets program in a statement on Sunday. While I am devastated by the loss of my brother in the fight to save lives in Baltimore, I will not let those who chose to violently take his life dampen the light of his work, Mr. Scott said. Dante's work saved lives. This is a sobering reminder of how dangerous this frontline work is. Dante Barksdale was the subject of a series of profiles of local and national news media outlets about his outreach efforts, including a 2014 article, Walking the Streets of Baltimore with the Other Barksdale and in the Atlantic. And he also appeared in the 2018 documentary Charm City, which examined violence in Baltimore after the 2015 killing of Freddie Gray, 25-year-old black man who died of a severe spinal cord injury while in police custody. Erica Bridgeford, the Baltimore Community Mediation Center Director and co-founder of Baltimore Ceasefire 365, met Barksdale more than a decade ago when she began training Safe Streets outreach workers in de-escalation and mitigation techniques. 
they became close friends, often relying on each other when they faced struggles personally or professionally in their common effort. Barksdale, Bridgeford said, had the ability to interrupt shootings and de-escalate situations in the moment. But he was often left frustrated, like herself, by the lack of resources to help young people change their circumstances and the broader debilitating environment in which they grow up in the city. So much of the city lives in broken systems, the school system, the housing system, the legal system, the policing system, the health system. For the people of Baltimore, Bridgeford said, losing Tater should be a wake-up call. Dante Barksdale, we remember you. One of the goals of Gays Against Guns, along with other gun violence prevention groups, is to have a federal ban on assault weapons, for instance, semi-automatic rifles, and, and here's some reasons why. The wounds caused by assault weapons are more severe and lethal than wounds caused by other firearms, and particularly when paired with large capacity magazines, assault weapons can injure more people more quickly. Because of this lethality, assault weapons are frequently the guns of choice for individuals who carry out horrific public attacks. Assault weapons have been used in the seven deadliest mass shootings in the last decade. An analysis of public mass shootings resulting in four or more deaths found that more than 85% of such fatalities were caused by assault rifles. An assailant with an assault rifle is able to hurt and kill twice the number of people compared to an assailant with a non-assault rifle or handgun. A growing body of research demonstrates that banning assault weapons can help prevent gun violence. Studies of both the lapsed federal assault weapons ban and state-level assault weapon bans show that these laws help reduce fatalities and injuries from mass shootings, as well as the use of the assault weapons in crime. During a 10-year period the federal assault weapons ban was in effect, mass shooting fatalities were 70% less likely to occur compared to the periods before and after the ban. Studies also suggest that the state-level assault weapons ban help to prevent mass shooting deaths. In several ma major cities, the share of recovered crime guns that were assault weapons declined by at least 32% after the federal ban was adopted. Importantly, researchers have been able to demonstrate that the federal assault weapons ban prevented mass shootings and decreased the diversion of assault weapons to criminal use, despite limitations in law which allowed manufacturers to circumvent the regulations. Now, the American public strongly supports efforts to better regulate assault weapons. 67% of Americans, including half of Republicans, support a ban on assault weapons. All of that information is available online at Giffords.org. They have background on assault weapons, the summary of the federal law, which states actually ban assault weapons, and then the others that regulate it. So I want to welcome back to Radio Gag, Jeremy Stein from Connecticut Against Gun Violence. Oh, thank you for uh, having me here, Ty. We really appreciate always uh, being on the show. It's really a privilege to be here. Uh, thank you. I, we, we do have a, a relationship with um, Connecticut in, in the sense that uh, we do share some of the similar stricter gun laws uh, being in New York. How would you give an example of how certain gun laws and banning in Connecticut has worked and how would that translate to something federal? 
Well, um, so a lot of times, especially now, um, things start in the state at the state level. So ideas, concepts, um, bans, um, things that are going to work to reduce gun violence um, tend to start in the states. Um, one, because this is all happening on the state and city level, but also um, there is a greater ability, especially in places like Connecticut, um, where it's easier, not easy, but easier to create this kind of change on a legislative level. We have a, um, a House, a Senate, and a governor that all are uh, very interested in making sure that we have common sense gun laws. Um, so things like a ghost gun ban or uh, safe storage laws, those are things that we recently passed in Connecticut and now they are being proposed in Congress. Okay, great. Um, and we have spoken about your experience with guns as well. Um, I, I obviously have experience not as a gun owner, but uh, as weapons that were issued to me uh, when I was active duty. Have you, um, have you been around what are defined as assault weapons or, or fired them? Yes, I have. Um, so when I was, um, uh, one, I, I was a gun owner. I did not own assault weapons. Um, I've owned um, handguns before. Um, but when I was a prosecutor in D.C., um, working for the Attorney General's office, um, we had several trainings with the ATF. Um, and one of, one of the things that we did was um, we were shown a series of banned weapons and then we were um, taught how to fire them so that we could get firsthand experience as to what these, you know, what, what it means to use these weapons, how they're used, um, and, and then essentially like, like how, how it feels to fire these weapons. And so those included um, things that were traditionally used as military weapons. Um, I've, I've handled a um, AK-47, um, AR-15s, um, uh, Uzis, um, shotgun, various shotguns. I mean, you name it, I probably fired it on one hand or, or another. Um, and, you know, I can tell you that these are very dangerous tools that 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 military members are given to kill the enemy. Um, they should not be in the hands of civilians. There is no way that they should be in the hand. These types of weapons that we we give to military to to, to kill our enemies, they should not be in the hands of, of a civilian population, especially an untrained civilian population without any regulations. How does a ban in, in the state work as far as sales, usage? Does someone can still, still go to a range and use something like this, or is it just the ownership that's banned? The assault weapons ban, it defines specific weapons um, that are automatic, semi-automatic, um, and that have um, detachable magazines and then also have certain features. And that is what defines it as an assault weapon. It, it is, assault weapon is a legal definition in Connecticut. Um, the other thing that the Connecticut statutes do is it also, in addition to saying, if a gun has these features, it's semi-automatic and has a detachable magazine, um, that it's assault weapon, it also lists very specific weapons that are considered assault weapons and banned. And there was a grandfathering in of these weapons. Um, there, if you registered the weapons at a certain time or if you purchase a, a, a assault weapon that was manufactured by a certain time, 
you can you can legally own these weapons. Um, so it's not an outright ban, and, and that and, and part of that is because of this grandfather clause. So there are people in Connecticut that do legally own assault weapons. They have to have registered them by a certain point, um, pay a fee. Um, so you know to say that we ban them is not 100% correct. Um, we have banned future sales of them, um, but uh, there are certain circumstances where people can legally own these weapons. But certainly not open carry down the street. No, cannot do that. To ban something in a federal level, we would then have to also declare a way for people to register the weapons they already have. Right. And so, and we do not require registration of all weapons, right? So there's only certain weapons that you have to register, but not, you know, the the part of the, the, the difficulty of like tracking weapons um, is that they're, number one, there is not, there's not a registry, number one. There are, there are, we do keep track of, like in Connecticut, you have, there is a permit to purchase system. So anybody, and a background check system. So anybody that buys a new firearm um, or transfers a legal firearm has to call the state police. And then there's a background check done and then they're given uh, an approval code, so to speak. Um, and then there's paperwork that's filed. So the state does keep track of weapons that are sold in Connecticut, but they, do, they don't keep track of weapons that are brought into Connecticut where someone may have purchased it in another state, right? So if you purchase a gun in Maine and then you move to Connecticut, there's no way to know um, that, that a person is bringing that weapon into Connecticut. And so therefore there's no way to really know how many weapons there are currently in a state like Connecticut because of that. While we do believe that assault weapons should be banned in the United States and that all states should have laws similar or as strong as Connecticut's when it comes to assault weapons ban, we do want to point out that that assault weapons is not the, the assault weapon ban is not the, the primary focus of our organizations. And I think there are other things that states and, and federal law should be concentrating on first. Right. And those are basic things that because when we look at gun violence, um, it is really the day to day community gun violence, you know, the shootings that we see in our city every day that should take priority, as well as reducing gun suicide, which is two thirds of all gun violence. And so I think those two areas of gun violence prevention should be concentrating on concentrated on more or ahead of an assault weapons ban, which is a pretty divisive issue. Um, because we, because I think all, all of our concentration should be on reducing the greatest number of, of gun deaths or gun shootings. Um, and I think that areas to concentrate on, if you're going to do that, are both suicide and community gun violence. Gays Against Guns wants to thank WBAI for helping us reduce gun violence through our show, Radio Gag. WBAI has been supporting free speech and progressive issues for more than 60 years. Whether it's racial justice, gay rights, women's rights, climate justice, international or immigration rights, WBAI has been breaking new ground in reporting and the American conversation for decades. Without your financial support right now, we will lose this legacy. You can do your part to take action by giving a donation to WBAI today. Right now, 
Radio Gag has a special premium when you become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. We will send you a copy of Whose Right Is It? The Second Amendment and the Fight Over Guns by Hannah Baramovich, or Grace Will Lead Us Home by Pulitzer Prize winning author Jennifer Barry Haas. When you make a donation of $25 or more, go to give to wbai.org or call 212-209-2950. That's give to wbai.org or call 212-209-2950 and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun Show, here on listener-sponsored, commercial-free radio WBAI. We are here every Tuesday afternoon at 2.30, bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement news. Next up, I continue my conversation with Jeremy Stein from Connecticut Against Gun Violence about a Supreme Court case addressing whether the gun ownership laws of New York City, which restrict the transport of licensed firearms out of one's home, violates the Constitution's Second Amendment, Commerce Clause, and rights to travel. But first, I asked him about President Biden's first address to Congress, where he said, I will do everything in my power to protect the American people from this epidemic of gun violence. Um, How did you feel about the presentation of this administration bringing on what they're going to do towards gun safety? I thought it was great. I thought it was um, very promising. Um, We haven't had a president or administration that has talked about gun violence to this extent, or at least has um, issued any type of plan that they mean to invest in gun violence prevention. So I thought it was incredibly um, uh, uplifting um, that that President Biden wants to not only um, uh, commit to legislation to um, to reduce the access to certain dangerous firearms and to make sure that firearms aren't in the hands of, of, of dangerous people, um, but also what I thought was tremendous was his investment in community gun violence um, and suicide prevention. Um, he has stated that he's going to in, invest $5.3 billion or, or hopefully ask for appropriations in the amount of $5.3 billion to, um, to reduce community gun violence and to try to invest in uh, violence intervention programs and prevention programs and uh, aftercare um, and we're, you know, we're doing something similar here in Connecticut. Uh, our governor has um, announced that he wants to use the American Rescue Plan funds uh, to, to do the same to invest in community gun violence. I felt because of his demeanor, which is basically what we're gonna be relying on for a while, I think, is just this common sense of breaking everything down to as pragmatic as possible and saying, this doesn't work the majority of Americans, right, believe in something as simple as a background check, right? The majority of Americans and gun owners believe in something as simple as like safe storage, right? It's something that is a simple concept. Um, so this isn't like as divisive as a very vocal minority suggests it is, right? I mean, because most people believe in this, you know, assault weapon bans or, or uh, safe storage or background checks or, 
laws like, um, you know, extreme risk protection orders, also known as red flag laws. Like, this is, you know, we want to reduce suicide. Let's let's do something that's going to reduce suicide. We want to reduce urban gun violence. Let's do something that's going to invest in our communities. Like, these are not things that are that hard to understand. So I think you're right. Yeah, the president has done a very good job of kind of simplifying the issue and saying, like, look, this is, this is what we're going to try to do. There's just too many shootings. There's too many people dying from gun violence and it's a public and it is a public health crisis and i think that is probably the takeaway that i was most impressed by the president is that he is messaging this and looking at this as a public health crisis which is what it is um and they're and they're making this issue into a you know a, a second amendment or a right issue or you know an, an inalienable right and it's that's not what this is about at all um, and you don't need to be a legal scholar to know that the Second Amendment is not um, a, a, um, a law that allows any type of weapon in any scenario. You know, no, there's no, no constitutional right that is that is an open invitation to do, to do whatever it is that the rights is supposed to be protecting. Even the First Amendment doesn't allow you to say anything you want in any scenario, in any case. And the, the, I think the, the example that Biden gave, uh, you know, yelling fire in a crowded movie theater. You know, that's not protected speech. That is not what the First Amendment envisioned. And the Second Amendment does not envision people having weapons of war marching with them down, in, you know, in, in the public to their to the, the town veranda uh, while there is a, a protest going on or being able to have an AR-15 and walk into a polling place. Um, you know, these are not rights that are protected. Um, and, uh, you know, and I think you had asked me earlier about the Supreme Court decision that may be uh, decided on the, on the New York case. Um, and that may be the first time that we see an expansion of the Second Amendment in, in decades. Um, and, you know, there's a very conservative court right now um, that may expand the right beyond the home. Right now it's only protected in the home. And so that, that, is, that is something that could happen in our lifetime. Then the federal federal legislation then might have to act, right? And then because otherwise it'd be like, all right, well, I live in Georgia. I don't need a permit to carry a gun. I, I have a gun. Now I want to take my gun and go to Connecticut. And like, uh, you know, how does that work if I don't have a permit? And so maybe the Supreme Court decision could be instrumental in making, you know, concealed carry reciprocity or something like that. So the legislature would have to act and say like, there's got to be some type of federal law that governs all 50 states and whether or not somebody can carry a gun or not. So, To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at gazeagainstgunsny on Facebook and Instagram or gag no guns on Twitter. Also, be sure to check out our website and our Human Beings page on Facebook, where we honor all lives lost to gun violence. Join us at a meeting. We meet every other Thursday at 7 p.m. online. Our next meeting is Thursday, May 13th. We will be planning all kinds of great actions and protests, so please join us. We are currently planning for June 12th, which will be the five-year mark of the Pulse nightclub massacre. Uh, Gaze Against Guns will once again honor the victims while also demanding change. I want to thank Jeremy Stein for joining me, and thank you for listening, and don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows at any time on the WBAI website, or 
on any major podcast platform. We leave you with our fabulous political singing queer tet, Sing Out Louise. Thank you and have a good day. <laughs> Slide from the rumpus room. <laughs> Building a wall between churches and Congress. Making a choice between rightness and wrongness. Taking down tyrants who act like they're kings. These are a few of my favorite things. The right to gather and the First Amendment. Choices I'd rather and thoughts independent. Getting a lawyer when I'm in a fight. These are a few of my favorite rights. When the laws bend, when the feds cheat, and I'm feeling mad. I simply remember the Constitution. And then I don't feel so bad. Marching around when I'm angry with Congress, shouting them down to make them keep their promise, going to school feeling safe day and night. These are a few of my favorite rights. 